bib bulb, get in touch. Everyone is invited to submit their program ideas. Just call us during business hours at area 608-256-2001 or write us at accesshour, one word, at wortfm.org. Programs are scheduled first come, first served. Of course, the views expressed on the Access Hour do not represent those of the station's board of directors, staff, or programmers. But right now, it's time to begin another foray into the freest form program on the WORT schedule, the Access Hour. Gender hurts, it's harmful to girls. Gender hurts, it's painful for the women of the world. The tyranny of male rule taints my every word. Gender hurts, it's harmful. So don't come a-knocking on my front door. from you leave us alone yes gender hurts it's harmful to girls gender hurts it's painful for the women of the world the tyranny of male rule is worse than absurd gender hurts it's harmful But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home? Tell me, where is my home? Gender hurts, it's harmful to girls. Gender hurts, it's painful for the women of the world. The tyranny of male rule is worse than absurd. Gender hurts, it's harmful. Greetings and welcome to my show on feminism featuring feminist thinkers Julie Bindle from the UK and Megan Murphy from Canada. 
Thanks to WORT's Access Hour for hosting it. This is Thistle Patterson. The song you just heard is an original and is called Michigan, but is also known as Gender Hurts. It's a shout out to the brilliant Sheila Jeffries and her book called Gender Hurts, a feminist analysis of the politics of transgenderism. She released that book in 2014. The song is now used as theme music for the regular monthly podcast I co-produce collectively with a group of totally excellent radical feminist women at Women's Liberation Radio News. You can find our monthly podcast, music show, and interviews at wlrnmedia.wordpress.com. Women's Liberation Radio News is also on Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Tumblr. So find us and tune in to grassroots reporting on stories, events, and politics impacting girls and women worldwide. Before we open up the phone lines for your questions and comments for Megan Murphy joining us live from Canada, I'd like to play a clip from an interview I did with Julie Bindle last week for this program. Julie Bindle is a journalist, writer, broadcaster, and researcher. She has been active in the global campaign to end violence towards women and children since 1979. She writes regularly for The Guardian newspaper, The New Statesman, Truth Dig, and Sunday Telegraph and Standpoint magazines, and appears regularly on the BBC and Sky News. Take a listen to the interview we did for this show last week. Okay, so I have Julie Bindle on the line. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to join you. So um, this is a basic Feminism 101 crash course that I'm doing for the WORT community. I know that you are doing all kinds of feminist work and activism. What's the name of the book you just released and what's it about and what do you hope to accomplish with this new book? Well, my latest book is The Pimping of Prostitution, Abolishing the Sex Work Myth. And it is, I suppose, a play on the way that the term to pimp has become this kind of quite cool street slang meaning to improve, to make better. So pimp your ride, pimp your coffee. And actually, you know, prostitution has been pimped to be depicted as something that is empowering for women, to be sanitized away from its actual reality, which is abuse and, quite frankly, horror for those that that are being bought and sold. So what I hope to achieve is to at least put something concrete into the debate that students can read, that feminists can read, that people who consider themselves to be human rights activists can read, who usually would only be given one side of the story, which is sex work is empowering and all we need to do is blanket decriminalize it for everything to be hunky-dory. Yeah, can you talk about that term sex worker and why it's not a liberating term for women? Shouldn't we be supporting sex workers' rights as workers? Well, sex work is a crazy term. It's an Orwellian term. It was coined by a sex workers' rights activist, as she would describe herself, back in the early 80s, and it was a political move. This woman was an exploiter of women in prostitution. Sex work as a concept can actually include pimps, brothel owners, pornographers. 
it is a catch-all term and one that has really effectively sanitized prostitution uh, in the eyes of regular citizens who don't really know very much about this but want to be respectful to the women because it is largely women. I mean, there are prostituted men and boys, of course, but largely we're talking about women. And this is about the oppression of females by men under patriarchy. So we obviously, abolitionists who reject the term sex work, and this includes the leaders in our movement, the sex trade survivor activists, you know, they, we consider that labour is not the inside of a human being's body. This is not a workplace. Clearly, people that do manual labour, whether they build houses, dig roads, work in factories, they are using their bodies, but they're the inside of their bodies, their orifices are not being invaded and used by somebody else for one-sided sexual pleasure. So clearly it's not labour. The sex trade survivors describe prostitution as paid rape. When somebody isn't consenting to sex, there's usually a word for that. And obviously women aren't consenting to sex because the money wouldn't have to be exchanged if they were. So we can respect the dignity of prostituted people without actually calling them prostitutes or hookers or whores or sex workers. These are all offensive terms. This is not the person. This is what's being done to them, which is why sex trade survivors do tend to refer to themselves as formerly prostituted people. Okay, thank you. Why is it important to name the problem of male violence against women specifically? Why is it harmful to take the sex part out of it and just focus on gender neutral perpetrators and survivors? There are women who commit acts of violence too and men who suffer from acts of violence. Isn't it better to just focus on the problem of violence and how it impacts any victim, regardless of their sex? You know, as, as your WORT listeners will, will know, sexual violence towards women by men is endemic. Violence by men on men is also a big problem. There are some individual women that commit acts of violence on men and on other women. But what we're talking about here is an institutionalized problem in the way that if, and we know it does happen, of course, that some black people may attack some white people here in the UK or in the US and do that specifically because of their race, even that white uh, on black violence is endemic and it is institutionalized. And to take these individual acts of violence perpetrated by people of colour or white people, you know, and to describe this as something that evens out the issue somehow, is ludicrous. Because when every state institution and religion and, and society in general supports racism, supports misogyny, then you have to look at how men are a sex class using violence to oppress women as a sex class. And of course, patriarchy doesn't work by men constantly beating women up and threatening to kill us. It works by the very threat being present constantly and regular and horrific examples of violence that seeks to remind us who has the power and who is going to be believed and disbelieved. Thank you. 
Is there anything else you'd like to say to WORT listeners who are largely from the Midwestern part of the United States and liberal in their politics around sex and gender? What I'd really like to share with your WRT listeners is that the whole position on prostitution perpetrated by the likes of Amnesty International and the World Health Organization and all of those that are supposedly progressive people is actually a deeply regressive position, I'm afraid, to suggest that the inside of a woman's body is for rent or sale in order to feed her and her children is going right back to the dark ages. It's medieval. It's, it's deeply conservative to suggest that men have to have sex or they will explode. And that if they don't have sex when they want it, with whom they want it and how they want it, that they will have to go out and rape. That's a horrible, horrible view of men that is conservative and regressive. And we know men have control over their sexual responses and urges. We also know that it is not a good liberal position to hold, that some women are only worth being penetrated by strangers for money so that others can be free from unwanted sex. The abolitionist position, which is with an end goal to abolish the sex trade, is the progressive position to have because it's saying that we are against non-consensual sex and that we believe in bodily integrity. And the people listening to this program who work in decent jobs or even in jobs that they don't particularly like, but they kind of cope. Well, they need to ask themselves if it would be okay for them to be penetrated by strangers for money. And what would they rather do? Have that done to them or work in McDonald's, which is a pretty grim job. And they would rather work in McDonald's and they know it. So we need to stop thinking about the pro-prostitution, legalize it, sanction it, make it available for everyone, you know, don't criticize it, let's get it out in the open. We need to recognize that that is the deeply essentialist, conservative, regressive position, and that we've been lied to. Right on. Thank you so much, Julie Bindle. All right, so that was a pre-recorded interview I did with Julie Bindle last week to get us started tonight. Let's turn now to the live portion of the program and welcome Megan Murphy, who is joining us by phone. Megan, are you there? Hey, how are you? I'm great. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So let's get started. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the media work you've engaged in since founding Feminist Current? What is Feminist Current and what motivated you to found it? Uh, Feminist Current is Canada's leading feminist website. Uh, I launched it in 2012 and it's also there's also a Feminist Current podcast attached to that. Um, and I really just launched it because there's nowhere else to put radical feminist analysis online. <laughs> like, uh, the mainstream is very bad at covering um, feminism and the feminist movement, and liberal media is, you know, 
stuck in liberal feminism, so in promoting prostitution as a job like any other, as, you know, Julie Pendle discussed a little bit, um, and, you know, in, in avoiding criticisms of pornography, in avoiding criticisms of gender and gender identity, and... You know, really, if feminist current didn't exist, I don't know where I'd be. You know, like maybe I'd be like spouting liberal, who knows what, Jezebel or something like that. (laughs) But there's just, you know, there's just nowhere else to have these conversations. I, I, I hear you loud and clear. I promoted this show as a Feminism 101 introduction to what leading feminists are doing right now in today's world of politics and struggle. One of those basic points that I hope to get out there is the difference between sex and gender and why that distinction is important to understanding the harms of gender identity legislation. In this clip of you testifying before the Canadian Senate last year against gender identity bill C-16, you do a great job of describing this important difference. A century ago, gender determined that women should not be allowed to vote or be counted as persons under the law in Canada. Gender says that men are inherently violent, aggressive, independent, assertive, and rational, whereas women are inherently passive, delicate, nurturing, irrational, and emotional. These ideas have been disproved thanks in large part to the feminist movement, Yet today, in creating and supporting the idea that one can have an internal gender identity, we are regressing. No one is born with a gender. We are born male or female, and gender is then imposed on us through socialization. Women do not know they are women because they are born interested in high heels or the color pink. They know they are women because they are female. Treating gender as though it is either internal or a personal choice is dangerous and completely misunderstands how and why women are oppressed under patriarchy as a class of people. Patriarchy was invented in order to control women's reproductive capacity and gender was created in order to naturalize and reinforce that hierarchical system. Women and girls around the world are killed, prostituted, raped and abused every single day not because they wear dresses, have long hair, or behave passively, but because they are female. And under patriarchy, females are said to be less than. Things that exist for male use, to be owned, bought, sold, and looked at. Women's rights exist on this basis. Because we, as a society, understand that women are discriminated against and subjected to male violence regardless of their clothing, body language, or behavior which is now apparently being defined as gender expression. The idea that women could simply express themselves or identify differently in order to escape oppression under patriarchy is insulting and provably untrue. Yet, this is what ideas like gender identity and gender expression communicate. If we say that a man is a woman because of something as vague as a feeling, or because he chooses to take on stereotypically feminine traits, What impact does that have on women's rights and protections? Should he be allowed to apply for positions and grants specifically reserved for women based on the knowledge that women are underrepresented or marginalized in male-dominated fields and based on the fact that women are paid less than men and often will be fired or not hired in the first place because they get pregnant or because it is assumed that they may become pregnant one day? 
The way men feel on the inside does not change that they hold power and privilege in this society, and the way women feel on the inside doesn't change their experience of sexism. I don't feel as though I should be called misogynist names, objectified, abused, or sexually harassed, but these things have happened to me anyway. I did not choose to be treated like a woman under patriarchy, and I have never felt comfortable with femininity. Does this make me a man? Dissolving the categories of man and woman to allow for fluidity may sound progressive, but is no more progressive under the current circumstances than saying race doesn't exist and that white people don't hold privilege in this world if they don't feel white or if they take on racist stereotypes attached to people of color. Well stated. How was your testimony received and did it bring you the political results you had hoped for? Um, well, so, I mean, I, I wasn't so naive to think that my testimony would, um, stop the legislation from passing. Um, Bill C-16 has not yet passed, but it will. Um, what I wanted to do is to ensure that the feminist analysis of gender identity in this kind of legislation was on record, um, so, you know, in some ways, yeah, I mean, it, it opens up a conversation. Um, I feel grateful that I was able to bring that analysis, um, to the Senate and to make that clear and to enable the public to understand what feminist objections to gender identity, gender identity legislation is all about, um, but it's been tough in Canada to make a dent and even really to have this conversation. The media is terrified to have the conversation. Um, most mainstream media in Canada won't even acknowledge that there are feminists who oppose the idea of gender identity, you know, transgender theory and gender identity legislation. So in most cases, it's presented as a left versus right issue. Um, and, you know, the supposed progressives are supposedly all in favor of the idea of gender identity and gender identity legislation, and supposedly it's only the right, um, in particular, right-wing, you know, white men like Jordan Peterson who are questioning these ideas, and it's simply not true, and it's uh it's really it makes me really angry actually that we're being silenced on this issue and and that it's not being explored fairly or fully especially when it has such harmful uh repercussions for women and women's rights. Yeah, absolutely. In Sweden, they're beginning to discuss the prospect of adding a third gender. Is there anything like that happening in Canada? What are your thoughts on the idea of adding a non-binary or third gender option to IDs, passports, etc.? I mean, it's a totally nonsensical idea. It's ridiculous. Um, there's no such thing as a binary person in terms of gender. Um, you know, sex is binary, but gender, you know, so the idea, the, those gender roles that are imposed on us, those stereotypes, also called femininity and masculinity, there's no person that fits perfectly into these stereotypical roles. I mean, that's so insulting um, to say that, for example, 
women who who don't identify as non-binary or trans or something like that um, are you know comfortable with femininity or chose femininity or that there's something innate or inherent about us um, that connects us to femininity you know as though we're we're inherently passive um, or inherently nurturing or inherently emotional and the same thing for men you know are we are we really prepared to argue that men are inherently dominant and aggressive and rational and unemotional. Um, Those are really regressive sexist ideas. So the idea that a person could identify as non-binary automatically implies that everyone else is binary. And beyond that, like, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessary for you to include your feelings about gender on your passport or your ID. Like, the the information that's there um, is about sex, biological sex. So whether or not you're male or female, that's just about your body. That's not a judgment on you. Like saying you're male doesn't mean you have to be masculine. And hopefully you're not. Hopefully you're pushing back against those stereotypes. But uh, I don't I don't put my feelings about patriarchy and the way gender functions under patriarchy on my medical documents. Like. That's not the kind of data that the government's trying to gather from those kinds of documents, right? Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like asking people what kind of haircuts they like on their passports. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the rhetoric that I've seen, uh, there is a real confusion between sex and gender, and people are saying that sex is on a continuum, that it's not really binary, that it's fluid, and um, that, you know, science has moved forward. And what about intersex people? Can you talk just a little bit more about the difference between sex and gender and what sex is and what gender is and why there's this confusion? Right. So, I mean, basically, sex is about anatomy. Um, So it's referring to our reproductive systems and our role in reproduction. So human females... Uh, a female refers to the sex that can bear offspring or produce eggs, and male is the sex, in the case of humans, capable of producing sperm um, and of fertilizing the eggs of a female. Um, and, you know, intersex is, is, a, is, a, is a condition. Um, so there are people who are intersex as well as people who are male and female, but when we're talking about transgender and gender identity, what we're talking about is not people who have an intersex condition. We're just talking about a personal feeling or an identity. Um, and That has nothing to gender. do with their body, right? That personal feeling and that identity is right. not and about their body. Isn't about, I mean, it, it could be about how you feel about your body, but uh, it's not about what your sex is, you know, like if you're born male and you don't like your male body or you feel like maybe you don't identify with masculinity or you feel like you identify more with the stereotypes attached to women, i.e. femininity, that still doesn't actually change your physical body. Like it doesn't mean that you can become pregnant um, or that, you know, you have a uterus or that you menstruate <laughs> because you, you are unhappy that you have a male body or because you don't identify with masculinity. Um, gender, 
as I, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, is about social roles. Um, so it's about the stereotypes that are applied to or imposed on males and females, like I said earlier. So males, as soon as a, a baby boy is born, he, and sometimes, you know, like even, even before babies are born, parents start to make assumptions about what their kid will be like based on whether or not they're male or female. Um, and, and so as soon as we're born, we start to be socialized into these roles. Um, girls are treated differently than boys are, for example. Um, and whether they like it or not, boys are born into a dominant class of people under patriarchy, and females are born into a subordinate class. Um, and those classes, that hierarchy is maintained through gender. So ideas about who is naturally dominant and who is naturally subordinate, um, who is valued based on appearance, who is sexualized, who is treated as an object, who is prostituted, who is raped, who is abused, who, you know, like all of these roles, who is nurturing, who is responsible for doing the unpaid labor in the home, um, who's the sexual harasser versus who gets sexually harassed. Like all of these things are about gender and gender roles and, and that hierarchy that we're all born into. Okay, thank you. The terminology we use is so important when working for women's rights. It seems like progressive and liberal terms that sound really good sometimes are not. I'm thinking of this quote from one of your recent articles, quote, while all good and progressive concepts, neither equality nor diversity nor inclusion nor intersectionality will stop men's violence. None of these vague gender neutral terms address the system that offers up women as things to be used and abused by men. Indeed, these terms have been used to usurp women's liberation movement in large part because of their lack of clarity and political investment in ending patriarchy specifically, unquote. So yeah, naming the problem of male violence is really important when we are choosing our terms. The term intersectionality is of particular interest to me because it gets used quite often to accuse feminists of not truly being feminists, but yet it was first coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989, a black woman, and is considered primarily a feminist term. When is it a feminist term, and when is it used against feminism, and how can we tell the difference? Um, I mean, feminism is intersectional. <laughs> I think that I, I don't even I don't necessarily know that we need a word to explain that. I mean, I think that the feminist movement has to understand that women also suffer um if they're racialized uh and if they're poor and I think that in the feminist movement we need to understand how race plays a role in women's oppression and how class um, plays a role in women's oppression. So I think that's really important. Um, I think that the term intersectionality has really been confused and co-opted by liberals who want to say that, for example, um, feminists who argue against a system of prostitution aren't intersectional 
and feminists who challenge the idea of gender identity aren't intersectional. And they're never really able to explain how this works because, of course, prostitution is incredibly racist and targets poor women of color in particular. (laughs) You know, like indigenous women are overrepresented in prostitution um, here in Canada, for example. And uh, gender identity is not a real thing and also has nothing to do with intersectionality. So I'm not sure where they've gotten that idea from. (laughs) But uh, it's just, yeah, it's like, you know, liberals seem to use it as like this buzzword to throw around to harass and devalue feminists, radical feminists, you know, second wave feminists, um, actual feminists. It's just used as a means to bully us and it's never used in an accurate way. And radical feminism and the women's movement, the independent women's movement, is full of women of color and working class women. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's sort of a, a nonsensical argument to me. All right. So before we open up the phone lines to take questions from the community, could you briefly talk about gender pronouns? Uh, which ones do you prefer and why? And also, what is the concept of misgendering? Proponents of this term say that it should be considered a form of legal discrimination. Um, Well, there's no such thing as misgendering, so it can't be a form of discrimination (laughs) unless that we're going to say that uh, patriarchy is a form of discrimination, which of course it is, but that's not what they're talking about when they say that misgendering is a form of discrimination. Um, So... In my opinion, we're all misgendered because, as I said before, these stereotypes are imposed on us. So nobody asks to be stereotyped as masculine or feminine. That just happens to us under patriarchy. So we're all being misgendered. You know, that's not about, like, letting us be who who we are. There's nothing to do with our actual personalities. That's that's just forced on us um, and assumed about us. so I don't know what that means, misgendered. What does that mean? Who's being misgendered? Well, it's when it's when way, somebody right? it's when somebody identifies as the opposite sex, and uh, the people in their life continue to refer to them as she, for example, if they identify as male, when they'd like to be referred to as he. And so misgendering is when you on purpose continue to call somebody by their biological sex when they prefer to be called by their preferred sex. Um, So that's my understanding of what it is. Right. So that's not misgendering because we're talking about sex. So just because a person um, identifies with feminine stereotypes more than masculine stereotypes, that doesn't actually change their sex. So if people continue to call them male, that's not misgendering all right well thank you so much um it's great to talk with you our phone lines are now open so please call 608-256-2001 to be put on the air to ask feminist currents megan murphy your burning question or to make a respectful comment 
While we're waiting for calls, Megan, can you tell us what the basic tenets and goals are of your feminism and where you think the women's liberation movement should go from where we're at right now? Um, Yeah, feminism is about uh, ending the system of patriarchy and ending male violence against women. So, and, you know, this is a movement that's been going on for over a century and I think that we have a great foundation and I think that we have a strong movement and I think that there's women all over the world who are doing really important and incredible things to work towards those goals. Um, And I think that we really need to continue um, in the path that's been set out for us and continue to build on that theory and analysis, but to build on it. Um, We don't need any new movement. Um, We don't need another wave. We need to get together in person if we can. Um, I think that we need to get back to doing consciousness raising groups. Um, I think that, yeah, I think we really need to get together in person and, and take action. All right. Do we have a caller? All right. So please call 256-2001 and uh, ask Megan Murphy of Feminist Current your burning question or make a respectful comment. And do we have a caller, Ken? Yes, we do. Caller? Julia. Oh, hey, Julia. Hi. Hey. Hi. I just wanted to call in and say thank you so much. Thank you so much to Megan Murphy. Thank you to Julie Bindle. And thank you, Thistle. This is so important. And women aren't really allowed to talk about this. And hearing you on the airwaves, uh, just it just gives me so much joy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. She's a regular volunteer with Women's Liberation Radio News. So if you want to catch some of Julia's reporting, you should tune in to WLRN's regular monthly podcast. And speaking Thank of... W- yeah. And speaking of WLRN, we have a an online newsroom where we discuss everything feminist and we kind of noticed a voyeuristic glee coming from men as they hear more and more women's rape stories being told publicly what do you think of the me too movement megan and what do you think the focus and goals of the me too movement should be um i thought it was really amazing (laughs) i think it's quite uh, revolutionary what happened this year as all these women banded together to speak out en masse against men and male violence. And I actually see it as sort of a a mass um, consciousness raising movement that's happening online. Uh, That's sort of where those ideas came from. It was about, you know, women realizing and pointing out that they're not alone, you know, that sexual violence doesn't happen to women um, just, you know, coincidentally, that it's systemic, um, and that pretty much all women are impacted by things like rape and abuse, you know, male violence. Um, It impacts us in all sorts of ways in terms of, of course, trauma, and also in terms of fear and the way that we live our lives and the way that we decide what we do in our lives and where we live and where we walk and where we go and where we park our cars 
and what time we take the bus and where we sit on the bus. You know, there's so many different ways that women are impacted by men's violence that I think a lot of men really just don't understand and that some women have probably normalized so much that they don't even see it anymore. But I think that what Me Too did was to reinforce that idea that that we're all impacted. This is happening to almost all of us, if not all of us. You know, I would be quite shocked to meet a woman that hadn't experienced sexual harassment, at least, if not sexual assault or domestic violence. And um, I really, I really hope that we can connect Me Too you know, for those of us who perhaps have not yet, to things like prostitution and to pornography and to objectification and not compartmentalize as too often, you know, liberal feminism has forced us to try to do, to say, you know, well, rape is bad, but pornography is fine. Um, And objectification is okay if you choose it and things like that. You know, all of these things, play into rape culture and and it's important that we make connections between all these different things working together to keep women oppressed and afraid. Yeah, and the for me the Me Too movement is re- really about women finding other women and telling our stories to one another and uh, it's unfortunate when women telling their stories of rape publicly can titillate certain men out there that are listening to to them but it's about women telling our stories to each other and feeling like we're not and knowing then that we're not alone so we have another caller on the air welcome caller hello hello welcome Hello, this is Catherine in Madison. Hey, first I wanted to say um, I want to thank uh, WORT for broadcasting this program. I know it's a very controversial issue that's going to be talked about here, but I really think it's important that we as progressives allow these discussions uh, on all kinds of controversial issues because I think if we suppress them, I think it's really going to backfire on us. So I wanted to thank WORT. But I have a question for Megan Murphy, and that is, um, radical feminists sometimes find themselves on the same side uh, as conservatives on certain issues, like prostitution or transgender politics, uh, maybe for different reasons, but on the same side of the issues. And so I'm wondering what Megan Murphy, uh, what her thoughts are about this, and what are the implications for radical feminist politics? Thanks. Okay, Megan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly frustrating that the left has fully abandoned feminism. So the left wing has decided that prostitution is a job like any other, that it's fine, it just needs to be regulated and all legalized. And the left, of course, has also taken a position in favor of this idea of gender identity, which is an incredibly regressive, sexist idea that we should have left in the Victorian era. And so, yeah, we do find ourselves in this odd position of being opposed to prostitution and gender identity um, that we also sometimes share with right-wingers. But as the caller mentioned, um, these positions 
have come from very different places. So I no longer feel any allegiance towards the left. I certainly don't feel any allegiance towards the right. I feel allegiance towards feminism. (laughs) So I ally with people who share my goals. Uh, and who work towards the liberation of women and an end to patriarchy. So whether or not people agree with me or not on these particular positions and where they fall in the political spectrum uh, isn't my concern. Of course, I wish that the left would support us on these issues, but they don't, so screw them. Um, <laughs> you know, like my solidarity is, is with women. And um, I think it's really manipulative that that liberals will will use that against us as though because somebody who's right-wing is also opposed to prostitution or gender identity, it necessarily means that feminism is a right-wing movement because, of course, radical feminism has very little in common with the right. Um, I also, you know, I think it's, it's okay to ally with people who share our goals, and there's lines that we have to draw about who we'll ally with based on their political positions on issues that are important to women and women's safety. But uh, I'm not, I'm no longer really into this left-right binary. I don't think it's helpful, and I'm not going to choose allegiance with either of those groups because both of those groups are male-led, male-centered groups. So I'm sticking with feminists. Okay, we have another caller on the air. George, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, George, go ahead. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, um, your first uh, interview person that was taped, uh, she, who was taped, she uh, was saying, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking about the prostitution and, uh, you know, that it's not empowering and that, you know, that I understand, I get it. But what she didn't offer was in the solution of how do we deal with it. It will not, it will, it will not stop. It, you cannot stop it. You cannot stop the sex trade. That's not going to end. So how do you deal with it? That's one, that's a question. But uh, the caller was taped, so she can't answer. And then the other thing is about the pronouns. Um, <sighs> I can hand handle, but a person can call themselves whatever they want. I don't care. However, he and she is a is a quirk of of the of our language that we use different pronouns for men, women, girls, boys, whatever. But <laughs> um, them, it's not. I cannot buy calling somebody a them because unless it individual has is not an individual and if, if it's if, if, if it's got two than few heads and brains it's not a them it's it's a he a she or an it unless we you know I, and I, and I don't I, I, I won't accept a them as a pronoun that's my comment and my question thank you okay Megan do you want to answer that about how do we deal with the sex trade, uh, if you know, because it's just always going to exist, right? I mean, um, I can see why people might feel hopeless about this issue because the sex industry is massive and very entrenched and very normalized. So it seems like a really huge thing to take on, and it is 
but we have to try. Um, this is an incredibly dangerous, violent, racist, capitalist, um, obviously misogynist industry, and it hurts so many women and girls around the world, and it also normalizes the idea that women and girls exist for men's use, that we are here for men's pleasure, and that they can do with us whatever they like because they have their needs. And that's a really harmful idea also. We have to take it on. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are never going to go away. Murder is never going to go away. Somebody's always going to murder somebody else. (laughs) We still criminalize that. We still say, as a society, this isn't okay. And that's what our laws are for. Our laws are here. Like, legislation exists to reflect social values. And what... As we, what are we as a society saying about women's value and women's bodies when we're saying that it's okay for men to buy us and to use us, regardless of what we want, regardless of our own safety, our own well-being, our own desires? It's dehumanizing. It's a dehumanizing concept. It's a dehumanizing industry. And so the solution that feminists have supported is the Nordic model, which decriminalizes those who sell sex, primarily women, also some men, um, and it criminalizes those who buy sex and those who exploit women by running brothels or by trafficking women and girls, by pimping out women and girls. And what that does is it reduces the number of buyers and it discourages traffickers in the places that have adopted this this model of law. And it also offers the women in prostitution more power in the exchange because it means that the man who is buying sex from her is already doing something wrong. So if he tries to, you know, steal from her and not pay her as behaving in a violent or abusive way, she can call the cops very easily and he knows it because she doesn't even have to prove that he's doing anything wrong because the wrong thing has already happened, which is that he's trying to buy sex. So she has more power over that exchange. And in Sweden, it has successfully reduced the number of sex buyers, and their law has been working really well over there. Great. And I would encourage the caller to go to wlrnmedia.wordpress.com and look up our program on prostitution and pornography because the Nordic model gets explained in detail in that program. We've got Julia from Vancouver on the line. Julia, are you there? Hi, sisters. I'm just calling to thank you both for doing this interview. Uh, This is very crucial as none of these issues are covered by mainstream media. And I know there's women out there who are listening who are afraid to speak out or say anything for fear of losing their jobs. So thank you very much. Thanks, Julia. That number to call is 608-256-2001 to ask Megan Murphy of Feminist Current your burning question or to make a respectful comment. And we've got Jenna on the air. Welcome, Jenna. Hey, Thistle. Hey, Megan. Um, I First off, thanks for having this interview, for being part of it, and thanks to WRT for airing it and Thistle for running it. Um, 
My, it's not really a question, but it is a comment, and I'm wondering if maybe you could talk more about it, Megan. Um, when you were talking about misgendering, um, I totally understand where you're coming from with not really understanding the term because it conflates sex and gender to, to say misgendering because pronouns refer to sex, not gender. So I get that. But, um, you know, the transgender community, is there. it's not the only group of people um, that are quote-unquote misgendered. You know, I think, I think gender nonconforming people have been dealing with that for a while. And it's just kind of like that's how society sees you because we understand you know, stereotypes. So, um, yeah, I just, I just thought that was interesting that you were saying you can't really misgender somebody because that's not a thing. Like, yeah, but in, in common terms, when people say that, they're conflating sex and gender, and what they mean is, you know, you recognize me as, as either a man or a woman when I feel that I'm, you know, the opposite. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on non-trans, you know, people who are not trans being misgendered. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, like, lots of lesbians that I know have told me, for example, that they've been misgendered in quotes, and they seem to think it's amusing. Um, But I suppose we could ask around about that. (laughs) Also, like, I had an ex-boyfriend who had long hair, and he was quite slight, and uh, he would get misgendered again in quotes from behind. So, like, waitresses would come over to my table and be like, hey, lady. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. It <laughs> look like a woman kind of, from the front. <laughs> yeah. It's just something so, you have to deal is, with, right? Like, <laughs> it is a bit about stereotypes, eh? But it's also, like, kind of funny, and I don't know if it's that uh, harmful. I guess the, the thing about misgendering that's being, you know, like, when the way that we're talking about it today in terms of uh, transgender ideology and gender identity legislation and things like that, is uh, it's being talked about as though it's a hate speech or a hate crime and that to insist that, you know, a male who feels more comfortable with feminine stereotypes than masculine stereotypes or has, you know, some kind of body dysphoria or has some kind of cross-dressing fetish or something like that, that he's a literal female and that everyone around him has to play into and encourage and accept Mm -hmm. this desire or delusion and, you know, and if not, they're guilty of a hate crime. I mean, that's pretty intense. <laughs> that's a pretty big ask. And it's yeah. irrational and unnecessary. Like, it's okay. It's like, do what you want. Wear what you want. I don't care. Like, hopefully you're rejecting, as I said before, masculine stereotypes. Like, wear a dress. Wear makeup. Like, okay. do what you want. But, uh, yeah. Thank you. We only have a few more minutes. So please call 256-2001 with your question or comment for Megan Murphy. I'm wondering, Megan, can you talk about like what are the legal implications or what are the impacts of the of gender identity legislation that is a thing worldwide now? Like governments all over the world are considering passing laws that blur the distinction between male and female and will allow men who identify as women into traditionally female sex female sex segregated places like homeless shelters, prisons, and those kinds of places where women are extremely vulnerable. What are the actual impacts of this legislation on women as a group on the ground in those different, I mean, if all of this gender identity legislation goes through, 
how will it impact women and those women that are most vulnerable in particular? Yeah, I mean, I it's so dangerous in terms of things like transition houses and rape crisis shelters because those are spaces where women go to escape male violence and to heal. And it's imperative that those women-only spaces be maintained. And um, that's, that's a real danger. Um, another one is, is female prisons. You know, men are already being put in female prisons and laws are changing very quickly to allow men to, or people are pushing to change laws also if they haven't changed already, to allow men to switch to female prisons based only on identity and nothing else. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with surgery or hormones or anything like that. Not that I think that that would necessarily be a good way to go either but uh you know like that that's really dangerous and and you know male violence especially like if these are violent criminals or men who have been charged with sexual assault i mean putting putting men in in female prisons has all sorts of dangerous implications. Well, I know the liberal arguments well, and what they say is that that's speculation and fear-driven. Where's your evidence? Well, I mean, <laughs> my evidence is that uh, male violence against women is is systemic, and the people who are raping women are men, and the people who are beating women are men, and the people who are sexually harassing women are men, and women fear male violence and fear men for good reason. And I think it's gaslighting to tell women that their fears are irrational and that they'll be fine when we know full well who, who, has, who has raped us and who has abused us and, and who we fear when we're out on the street or who we fear in our homes. Um, you know, if men stopped raping women and, and beating women and sexually harassing women, then maybe we could be having a different conversation, but that's not the case right now. Okay. Do you have any final parting words for our WORT listeners? Yeah. Speak up. (laughs) I know that it's scary. Uh, I know that there are repercussions for speaking out about things like gender identity, just for asking questions, just for asking questions around this legislation for challenging the idea of gender identity but we have to speak up. We have to speak up under our own name. Um, we have to attach our faces <laughs> to these questions that we're asking because that's what inspires and encourages other women to speak up. And we need to work together as a movement in solidarity. And we need to do something because this legislation is being passed very quickly and in many cases without any consultation or discussion. And I think that we should you know, follow the path set out for us by, you know, the women in the UK who are right now organizing meetings and having these conversations and pushing back and, you know, doing all sorts of activism around this. We got to, you know, really work hard and work together. Right on. Solidarity, Megan Murphy. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was really great to talk with you. Thanks for doing this. You've been listening to The Access Hour. during business hours or write us at accesshour, one word, at wortfm.org. 
and lay your proposal for a show on us. Music, talk, comedy, drama, or whatever can be conveyed over the radio. The Access Hour is anything you want it to be. And you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM and HD in Madison. It's 8 o'clock. Something wonderful is about to happen after these messages. Attention all pledgers to WORT's Winter Pledge Drive. Thank you for your generous support. To allow staff and volunteers time to process the large volume of pledges, we kindly ask you to wait until Monday, March 26th, to pick up your thank you gifts. Premiums will be available at the station, 118 South Bedford Street, weekdays from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you will be paying with cash, please come with exact change. To have your premium mailed or for special arrangements, please contact Susan Sheldon at the station at 608-321-9579. We look forward to seeing you at the station beginning March 26th. Live on the WORT airwaves, Whitebush Unicorn has defied convenient... Hey there, music fans. It's your old pal DJ L Serpentine here to let you in on a special Rattlesnake Shake program coming up here on Friday, March 23rd, 8 to 11 p.m. At 9 o'clock sharp that night, I'll have local seven-piece band White Bush Unicorn live on the WORT airwaves. White Bush Unicorn has defied convenient genre categorization but call themselves circus punk fusion pop and they spice up their rock sound with instruments like ukulele, xylophone, french horn, sax, and trumpet. That 